pressure, challenges, they are all an opportunity for me to rise. Kobe Bryant. Taking stock of your life, you probably can come up with a huge list of challenges that you face pretty quickly. Take me for instance. There's the regular challenges like using my time wisely to maximize time with friends while getting all the chores done, making my meals, and learning new skills for work, as well as the unexpected, like getting sick when trying to keep a recording schedule, or deal with the rodent or whatever it is that decided to make a home in my bedroom wall. No, I'm not kidding. We can either get stuck looking at the problems, or we can take the opportunities to overcome them and improve something that otherwise would have stayed that way in the world forever. I spent part of today taking the time to make sure Doorward Thinking lives on. And while we weren't able to finish a full episode we already had in production, I took the opportunity to revisit an area we fell a bit short on to do a better job explaining what we meant. Time to put those Doorward Thinking caps on. Let's get started. Welcome back, thinkers. I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, and I'm very happy to be here with you today, searching for better ways to live and better ways to love, examining what life has to offer in light of the untamable human spirit. So the start of the new year didn't exactly quite go as planned. A couple days after the ball drop, I got sick and had to spend a few days in bed, and I'm in the home studio today with a little bit of a cough and a tired voice, so Please bear with me for any audio that isn't exactly clear. Last time we were all together, we were talking about resolutions. And specifically, what about resolutions makes them easier to keep? While I was recovering, I got the sense that I felt I needed a win. Maybe you know the feeling when things just aren't quite going your way and you want something good to happen. And I was feeling pretty out of it and tired and had a little bit of a brain fog, so I couldn't exactly hop onto chess.com and play. Now, for some reason, my mind decided to go to hockey. Hockey is one of those things that I find immensely enjoyable, and it's in my heritage. So, my grandfather was born in eastern Canada. He lived on a farm, and when it was winter time, he got the opportunity to play on the ponds. When he was 18, he moved down to the United States and eventually made his way over to Southern California, where he met my grandmother, and they started their family, and that's where most of my family resides to this day. That's a whole other story that maybe we'll get into sometime. One of the things that he imparted to us was his love of hockey. In particular, one of my favorite videos of him is on his birthday, and at this time he's suffering from bladder cancer, so he was quite tired and pretty out of it, and we wanted to record as much as we could because we didn't know when would be the last time we saw him. So we all went over to celebrate and took some cake and ice cream and lit the candles on the cake. and presented it to him, sung happy birthday, and of course hockey was on in the background. And we have it on recording where he just seems to forget about blowing out his candles and turns back to watching the TV. We're trying to get his attention and he just says, wow, I love this sport. <laughs> and it's something that's always brought me a lot of joy. Sports in general were my happy place growing up. Without getting into all of the details, I had kind of a rough childhood during my school years, especially with one classmate in particular. And whenever we were in the same place, I was pretty closed off because I was afraid of what might happen. I was also pretty closed off at home because I didn't want to let my parents know what was going on for fear of what might happen if he found out they knew. 
So my safe place became the baseball field, the basketball court, or any other place where I could immerse myself in a game. Now this goes for either playing or watching. And I wasn't just being more active. Everything improved when I was around sports. I was happier, I was more intense and joyful, but I was also more emotionally aware. And so when I would go to professional games or watch on TV, I was very keenly aware of what the players were feeling throughout the course of the game, especially when they love it so much. You can see it written on their faces or in their body language exactly how they're feeling. And I still have quite the emotional tie to sports to this day. If multiple seasons are going on at once and every team seems to be losing for a few calendar days, things get a little bit dark. Now, when it comes to hockey, my dad made us a PVC pipe net in the backyard that I hit slap shots into for hours. And when I worked at Disneyland, I had several friends that would go to all of the local Kings Ducks games, including other games throughout the year if the tickets were cheap enough. It was a group of about five of us, and it was a lot of fun to go and share the whole community and the game with them. Now, I know that I live in St. Louis now, but I am not ashamed to admit that I am a Los Angeles Kings fan through and through. And when I was growing up, they were pretty bad, like hardly ever made the playoffs. And if they did, they would be easily bounced in the first round. The Ducks had a couple of good years in the mid 2000s and won a Stanley Cup in 2007. But for Kings fans, it was a brutal stretch. The team finally broke through in 2012, winning their first Stanley Cup and then won again in 2014. Both teams were extremely special. The first team had a mid-season coaching change where they were at the bottom of the division, made it into the playoffs as the last seed, and proceeded to go ahead and exceed expectations and win the whole thing. But over this last week of me being sick, I decided to go ahead and re-watch some of the old games from the 2014 Stanley Cup run on YouTube because I had some time and because that was a really special feeling. So these were the glory days for the LA Kings. They won the cup like I mentioned in 2012, and in 2013 they made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals before being beaten by the eventual champion Chicago Blackhawks. And in 2014 they made it to the playoffs and played their first round against the rival San Jose Sharks. NHL playoff series are best of seven series, so the first team to four wins wins the whole thing. And the Sharks won the first three games of the series. The Kings were on the brink of elimination and pulled off what's called the reverse sweep, where you win four games in a row after being down three. And it's only happened five times in the history of American professional sports. So they win Game 7 on the road in San Jose, and then start their second round series against the Anaheim Ducks, where they again have to win a Game 7 on the road in Anaheim. They pull that one off to come up against the defending Stanley Cup champion Chicago Blackhawks, where they again win Game 7 on the road, this time in sudden death overtime, before becoming kings of the NHL and winning the cup on their home ice against the New York Rangers. That's a pretty remarkable story in and of itself, but I'd like to take a little bit deeper dive into what was going on. During the first victory of the playoff run, that's Game 4 in Los Angeles against San Jose, the game-winning goal is scored by Kings forward Tyler Toffoli, who is at the right place at the right time, when an errant shot hits a shark player and falls right in front of him, 
he's able to take a shot on goal and it ends up going past the goaltender. That goal stands up for the remainder of the game and the Kings add a couple more to win that one 6-3. to three. Now what happened right before that goal is that you have the puck down in the corner, several players are fighting for it along the boards, and you have a defenseman. It's their job to make sure that forwards on the other team don't get the puck in transition and go down the ice with a clear shot on the goalie. Essentially, it's their job to get in the way. So defenseman Alec Martinez is sitting at the Kings' blue line, inching forward and watching the play, making sure that the puck stays in the attacking zone. The puck springs free from the logjam in the corner, and he backs off even closer to the blue line, letting the puck come to him in his normal defensive position. Now at this point, the center of the ice is pretty clear. You have a whole bunch of sharks and kings over on one side in the corner, trying to make their way over back in front of the goal in their normal positions. So Martinez goes ahead and he takes a shot. One of the shark forwards is able to reach and get his stick on the puck right as it's being shot, and it deflects it towards the middle of the ice where one of the shark defensemen sit. It hits the defenseman, falls right in front of Toffoli, and Toffoli puts it in the back of the net. Later in the playoffs, Martinez would go on to score the game-winning goal in overtime in Chicago, and then again in overtime, sudden death, to win the cup in Los Angeles. Staples Center went absolutely crazy. Now, there's nothing better than a championship celebration, but especially in hockey, it seems like you see these grown men who are strong and athletic and have the ability to gracefully stay in balance on razor-sharp blades, dancing on the ice like children. They're so excited. Think about it. All of that hardship of preseason and an 82-game regular season and a whole bunch of games in the playoffs where you are being hit, you're playing through injury, and all of that effort culminates in victory and hockey immortality. It's what these guys have been dreaming for their entire lives. And it all started with one play where Alec Martinez stayed in position didn't get sucked into the puck battle in the corner, and waited until the puck came to him before he made the right move to take a shot that didn't even get all the way through. Before that, nothing was going right. The Kings weren't getting the bounces, they had players who were injured, and it seemed like they might get swept out of the first round again like they had during my childhood. So when I went back to watch this telecast, Initially, it was to relive and re-experience the big moment. Life tends to orient us to want that big moment, that big win. We take a look at the glory and the joy of others in those big moments, and that's what we want, and that's what we crave. I know I'm guilty of it. Even now, I have the idea to open up an incredible pizzeria that gets thousands of patrons a day, or to have a podcast that somehow cracks into the ranks of the tops with the likes of Joe Rogan. But it's just not going to happen overnight. In fact, during the telecast, the commentators told a story about Alex's junior career, where he wasn't having a whole lot of fun, and it took some coaches to recognize that and help him start playing hockey as a game again. And his big moment wouldn't have happened if he didn't have the discipline to learn and 
be proficient in the small fundamentals of the game. And if he wasn't having fun practicing those fundamentals, like staying in his position at the blue line and taking the right shot, even though it didn't get through. The simple fact of the matter is that unless you win the lottery or lightning strikes and you make it viral, our big moments only come when we excel and become proficient in the small and everyday moments that make up our lives. So where do you envision yourself experiencing that joy? Where do you get your big win? And what's it going to take to get to that point? What is your overtime cup-clinching goal in Game 7? And what little skills do you need to master to make that moment a possibility? That's what the SMART goals we mentioned last time are all about. Remember, the S in SMART stands for Specific, M for Measurable, A for Achievable, R for Relevant, and T for Time-bound. I have a little bit of an example to show you what I mean. So, like I've mentioned before, I really want to open up a pizzeria one day. This place is going to be awesome. It's going to have the best pizza, it's going to have the best atmosphere, the best service, and plenty of fun promotions throughout the year to bring people in and give them a sense of community. I even want it to have a heavy charitable component, so we're giving back to our community. But that's not going to happen without the money to invest in a building, an oven, and all of the materials that I'm going to need, without amazing recipes that keep getting people to always come back, the right relationships within the community, and well-thought-out promotions that are good for both the patrons and the business. When you look at the big picture that way, it can seem overwhelming. But it doesn't have to be. Here's a smart goal that's going to help me create the perfect pizza. My goal, and you can hold me to this everybody, is that I'm going to have the best pizza sauce all figured out by the time me and my roommates move out of our current apartment. That's when they all graduate med school at the end of May. So first off, that goal is plenty specific. It's to have the best sauce that I can, better than any store-bought variety that I can take off of the shelf. The next part of the SMART goal is to make sure that your goal is measurable. Well, okay, how am I going to do that? There are a couple different things to measure here, and Steve would be proud of me. The first thing is that I need to measure the quantities of what I put into the sauce and how I work with those ingredients written down exactly, because I need to make sure the recipe is repeatable and see where I can make changes to the process that might affect the taste. Then I actually need to test the sauce, and I can't be the only one doing it. Thank goodness I have a whole bunch of roommates who love to eat pizza. We do it every Friday, and they're more than happy to try out anything that I come up with. Damn straight. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. So that means scheduling a lot of testing days and accurately recording their preferences. Then I'm going to need to compare my sauce with the other sauces out on the market. That means even more testing and more recording of preferences so that I can go back to the drawing board in the recipe, make the changes, and make sure that I get it just right. There's plenty of measurement going on in this goal, and I know how I'm going to do it. Next, we need to make sure that the goal is actually achievable. And yes, it absolutely is with the dedication to make one new sauce variety a week and start from there. 
Next, I need to make sure that this goal is relevant. And yes, it is, because the sauce is one component of an epic pizza. And if I want to have amazing pizza, I need to put time into the sauce, as well as making sure I have a good dough recipe, as well as making sure that I have the best ingredient combinations and that my cook times and temperatures are all right. It's a lot to think about, but breaking it down into this one sauce component is going to help make sure that I get that part right. And finally, is my goal time-bound? Yes, it is. I need to make sure that this goal is accomplished by the time we all move out of the apartment. And that's the SMART goal framework in a nutshell. So if you need a win, don't forget about the smaller victories that come on the way to the big moments where you win your championship. The Kings wouldn't have won their two Stanley Cups without fighting through tons of adversity in the regular season and the playoffs just to have the opportunity that the big game can bring. And the same goes for us. Whatever our big goal is and whatever we want to accomplish, it's going to take a lot of consistent effort, a lot of failures, a lot of attempts. But eventually, with incremental improvement, we'll get to where we want to be. That'll wrap it up for my thoughts this time around. We'll get back on our regular schedule next week when we have our discussion with the Doorward team. And as a reminder, our Ideas to Inspire book club discussion will take place three weeks from now, so the beginning of February. We are reading Start With Why by Simon Sinek, and you can purchase a copy of his book on Amazon.com or any other online used bookstore. For more Doorward Thinking content from the whole team, check out our blog at doorward.com slash doorwardthinking. We're starting with weekly posts and we'll be updating even more frequently soon. For the latest news about the show and Doorward, as well as some special surprises, be sure to follow Doorward on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to make sure you don't miss out on our next episode, subscribe to Doorward Thinking on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify today. Till next time, I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, reminding you to get smart and to get back to living. So when are we having that pizza?